Hollywood stuntman Garrett Warren was hanging out in his home in Westlake Village, California with his mom on May 20, 2000, when the doorbell rang insistently. What happened next was not a stunt scene with fake bullets. Struck me four times, one in the chest, one in the neck, one in the hips. I had fallen to the ground and he'd come into the door and he put the gun to my forehead and was about to fire the last time when I, I flinched and I turned my head sideways and the bullet went straight through my right eye, the corner of my right eye and came out my left ear, just below my left ear, actually right by my left earlobe. So it missed my left eye, but it clipped my right eye, broke my right eye, ripped through my right orbital. Hello everyone, this is When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. The gunman fled the scene, but not before he shot at Warren's mother twice, missing narrowly after she came to the door to see what all the commotion was about. Warren miraculously survived the attack, but lost his right eye. Since then, Warren has gone on to become a top stunt performer, stunt double, fight coordinator, unit director in major movies, including Avatar, the X-Men movies, Logan, Iron Man 2, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Spider-Man 2, to name just a few. He has taught martial arts and fight choreography to such celebrities as Jessica Alba, Jada Pinkett Smith, John Travolta and The Rock, and is a personal trainer to many stars. Garrett, welcome to When It Mattered. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. So you hold a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo and you've won three world martial arts championships. You've survived probably extraordinary stunts requiring superhero strength. But on that night of May 20th, 2000, you were pretty helpless as you opened that door and looked that man in the eye. Walk us through what happened. I had just gotten my daughter after the court said they've enforced the right that I get to have my daughter for visitation. So this was the first night I was going to have her after my ex-wife had been trying to, you know, limit me from seeing her. So what I did was I called my mother to come over. My mom was there. She was going to watch my daughter. I was going to run to the supermarket and get, you know, all the different things that I needed. And when I did, the doorbell rang like six times in fast succession, just really crazy. Didn't know what was going on. I was just putting my jacket on at the time and had my car keys in my hand and my cell phone in my pocket. Walked over to the door, looked through the peephole, saw a person stand there. I yelled out, you know, can I help you? He didn't answer. So I cracked the door open. He was about, you know, five or six feet back away from the door and he had his back to me, almost side turned profile. And I said, you know, can I help you? And then he had said to me, well, is this your silver Volvo in the driveway? I said, yeah. He said it to me a number of times, which made me wonder what was going on. I thought he hit my car. So I opened the door a little further and I looked outside to see if he had hit my car. And that's when he fired at me, struck me four times, one in the chest, one in the neck, one in the hips. I had fallen to the ground and he'd come into the door and he put the gun to my forehead and was about to fire the last time when I, I flinched. And I turned my head sideways and the bullet went straight through my right eye, the corner of my right eye and came out my left ear, just below my left ear, actually right by my left earlobe. So it missed my left eye, but it clipped my right eye, broke my right eye, ripped through my right orbital. So that all got replaced as well. But after he had shot through me and it rung my bell pretty well, I kind of grabbed on for dear life, trying to take the guy down. I was pretty disoriented and you know, trying to figure out what was going on. And that's when my mother had heard the commotion, came around the side. Um, as you already explained, you know, wanting to know what was the noise. 
he fired at her twice and he had this little snub nose revolver and you know that's six bullets of course and he's out and he missed her and so then he ran and that's what happened and do you remember what happened next or did you basically pass out at that point no i remember everything i was lucid i talked to 911 and everything i called them and you know they told my mother to get something to stop the bleeding and she ran back into my bedroom and grabbed a bunch of towels and blankets and i was telling them where my house was located while she was doing that that's incredible that you <laughs> that you were able to basically direct your own rescue after having been shot four times you had the physical strength to do that yeah so you've been in many stunt scenes with like fake bullets and all this stuff and you probably had never ever imagined what it would be like to be shot repeatedly do you remember what happened in the ensuing hours days and weeks and sort of how you got through this whole thing you must have bound up in the hospital for a while right yeah i was in the hospital for 10 days i do remember a lot they put me in an ambulance and drove me to the hospital and you know that hurt an awful lot once we got there they couldn't give me morphine right away because you know they don't want to bring your heart rate down they're not sure where all the bullets are because I was pretty bloody at the time they're not sure exactly where my bullet wounds were they stuck me inside of a cat scan and you know I had swallowed a lot of blood and when I got inside the cat scan I had thrown it up and all over the cat scan I made it you know painted the inside of it basically red with the blood and I felt horrible about it you know shortly thereafter they took me up to the room the detectives are there they wanted to talk to me at the time the doctor said you know he's going in for surgery they brought me into uh surgery and while they were in there they were busy just trying to save my eye and you know patch me up they did a good job you know they patched me up pretty well i was at a hospital in northridge that was a really good trauma center after that sat in my room the detectives came back one more time and i remember waking up in my room and being in a lot of pain you know someone put stitches in your eyeball trust me it hurts like heck so sitting in my room and the detectives wanted to have someone do a sketch so we did a sketch inside the hospital room as best as i could at the time i was you know just come out of anesthesia and i was in a lot of pain and eventually they left me alone and i finally spent the night my mother had hired a security person to come to the hospital and watch me through the night while i was in the hospital room then for the next 10 days i think they did about another two surgeries trying to save my eye and see if we can make it work and no nope, it couldn't work and eventually i think it was like 3 weeks later i had to go to UCLA and the doctor said you know i've got bad news for you you got to just cut that eye out it's causing more damage than it is good to have it inside you so i said okay let's cut it out after coming out of the hospital driving for the first time when i did have the bum eye it was difficult because one eye was seeing things that were light and the other one was seeing things that were dark so i was squinting a lot and trying to drive someone was with me making sure that i was able to drive i was able to drive fine but i remember that it was difficult to see at the time and as soon as they cut the eye out of my head it wasn't so difficult i think that's a pretty good recollection so far of what happened afterwards yes that's an incredible recollection and what about some of your other wounds what did they do did they have to like pull out bullets or had they all left your body They pulled a lot of stuff out of me but there was one that was in a rib cage right by my heart and it was going to require more surgery and they felt that you know they weren't going to do another operation if the bullet wasn't causing trouble so they left it inside of me and I still have it inside of me inside of my right behind my eyes 
where the bullet went through my eyes, there's what they call snow. It's remnants of the bullet, you know, flakes of the lead bullet that went through. So that's still up there as well. You just talk about it so calmly, but that pain must have been unimaginable to have those kinds of things floating around in your eye and in your body. And uh, I mean, it's just remarkable what a recovery you made. <laughs> yeah, there's pain and then there's that kind of pain. And that pain was incredibly excruciating. But it's the kind that you say to yourself, look, it's not going to last forever. It's going to come to an end eventually. So just get to the other side. You know, don't go backwards. Keep going forwards. So when the investigation began as to who had shot you, tell me how that initially unfolded, because I think initially they did ask you about your ex-wife, the actress Claudia Harrow, who also was the ex-wife to actor Joe Pesci. And I think you said you didn't believe that she might do something like that. So tell me how that whole thing unfolded. I hate to be this guy, but, you know, I've told this story now a number of times, and I've hit this certain point where my daughter has gotten to an age where She's dealt with it really well. And I try to put it behind me now. So I'm going to brush through it really quickly, if you don't mind. Not at all. But I'd really rather not go into a great deal about it as much as possible any longer. When they first pulled me out of the house, the first name that came out of my mouth when they said, who do you think did this to you, was her name. I thought it was her. Then while I was recovering in the weeks afterwards, you know, I went and saw her and she was very nice to me and she was very welcoming and she treated me really well, had me come over to the house and I thought to myself, well, maybe this is not the kind of person that would have had me shot. So I thought to myself, there's no way this person could have done it, right? But then I found out later on that, you know, yeah, she did it. Yeah, and she did go to jail for it for quite a long time. How old was your daughter when this happened? My daughter was very young. I think she was six or seven years old at the time. Wow, and it sounds like she has recovered quite well. She's doing great. She's a writer now, and she's graduated with honors from her class and doing really well. That's good to hear. You have been a stunt actor, director for many, many years, and that kind of work requires a tremendous amount of courage. Was that challenged by being shot in front of your own doorstep? Did that affect you in any way? My courage? No. I mean, once I got shot, I think that all my life I've learned to deal with just anything that comes your way. I was here for the um, Northridge earthquake and when the house shakes and the walls fall, some people run outside frantic. I was the kind of person that ran inside, kicking doors in and trying to help people out. I'm the kind of guy that runs towards a burning building to make sure that people are safe. You know, when it happens to me, it's okay, stop the bleeding, figure out the problem, reduce the damage. I jump into damage control mode and I always have you know, all my life. And how did the incident and the shooting and losing your eye affect your career, if it did? Well, at first, you know, I thought I was never going to have a career after that because I was a mess. But then afterwards, I said to myself, maybe there's something else I can do other than stunt work, you know, because who's going to hire a one-eyed guy? I decided to look more towards directing and operating camera and editing. However, Shortly thereafter, I got called for another job and put this glass eye in my head and nobody knew the difference. And I was doing the rundown with The Rock and all those guys and nobody knew different. So I, I said to myself, no, nah, I can still keep doing it. I can still keep going. And there's no reason to sit in a house and cry, oh, pity me. And physically, despite having just one eye, in terms of your own coordination and being able to execute those kinds of things, how did you get used to that? After you've been living a long period of time with two eyes, you basically build up 
like a sensory response to how far someone is away from you. You, you sense how close someone is or how far away they are, that kind of thing. So it's no longer that you have this three-dimensional ability to see someone, but you have this innate sense inside of your brain as to where they have been all your life. So you rely on what you know, not what you see. Interesting. So how did you get into the world of stunts? You know, I was basically going to school at Northeast University in Boston at the time, and I was world open taekwondo champion. And a buddy of mine opened a gym here in California, and he said, do me a favor and come over and help me out. I was in my last year, and I said to my buddy, you know, well, I got to finish this year. And he says, well, you know, you can always go back to it later. When are you going to have this opportunity? I said, okay. So I left school thinking, I'll put a pin in it here. I'll get back to it. I'll still go back. And I was going to be a physical therapist at the time. And I just never did go back. I came out to California and started training, you know, celebrities like Wayne Gretzky and all the different, you know, movie stars. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden, one of the producers on a TV series called The Raven that was being filmed in Hawaii said, you know, Garrett, we need someone that has your skill set because I was doing a lot of aerial kicks at the time. Why don't you come out to Hawaii? We'll make you a stuntman. We'll teach you what it's like to be the fight double for this guy. And I said, sure, let's do it. And that's how I got into the stunt business. How do you learn to be a stuntman? I mean, is there like stunt school? I mean, how does one learn all these crazy things that you do? Well, you know, you don't learn to be a stuntman. I have to admit, there's a couple of things. Number one, I think all stunt people are born with this need to test their physical limitations. Let me put it that way. You know, stunt people nowadays are a little bit different than they used to be in the olden days where a lot of stunt guys, they have this cowboy mentality where it's okay, pads or no pads, it's never going to hurt. Even if it did hurt, you never let it be shown. In all my life, I've had that innate ability as well. Nowadays, more people are thinking longevity, so it's smarter. I agree. And I think that modern sports does the same thing. Everyone wears pads. Put pads down the ground. Don't get hurt, you know, things like that. But really, to be a good stunt person, I think you need three things. Number one, you have to want to be a performer. You have to like performing for people. Number two, you have to be great at some kind of sporting skill or physical skill, whether you're a cowboy and, you know, you ride horses, amazing, like you're a rodeo champion, or say you're a high dive champion in college, or say you're a karate champion like I was. If you are one of the best in your field, trust me, the sport world will, will train you to be a good stunt person. You know, you'll test your limitations when you become the best at something, you test your limitations. You want to see just how far you can go and you want to see if you can rewrite the books and do moves that have never been done before. And then third, the last thing you need as a stunt performer, I think, is this cowboy up mentality. You have to be okay with getting hurt. There's a reason why we are stunt people and not the actors. It's because we're the ones that get bumped and bruised, bones broken, you know, nosebleeds and cuts. And when someone slices your arm or your cheek, you'd never freak out. You just put your hand over it and you tell everyone, no, don't worry, I'm just going to clean this up a little bit. I'll be right back. You try to play it off so that nobody worries so much. 
And if you have that mentality about your physical good, <laughs> then you could be a stunt person. You know, if you're crazy, I guess is what I'm saying. Have you broken bones and things like that when you've been doing stunts? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. I get hit by a car for a living. You realize this, right? Literally, a car does 25 miles per hour. And we have a scientific approach to how I'm going to get hit by this car, you know, so that I don't die. You know, where the driver of the car is just as important as the person getting hit by the car. You know, that driver, he wants to make sure that he finds a good car that has a low nose, like a BMW is a good one, you know. And then when he hits you, you want him to just tap his brakes a little bit so the nose goes down and drops just before it hits you. And then as soon as that nose drops, he wants to get on that gas again so that as soon as you kiss the hood of that car, he gasses it and you skip off the hood like a stone on the water. And you go right off the hood up to the roof of the car and you go off the backside of the car and you go down the backside and it should be all good. But let me tell you something right now. I don't think I've ever done a car hit where I haven't fractured something, broken something, tore something up. Car hits are the nastiest things in the world. Man, they're a demon like no other. But, you know, my job is to do a stair fall. People say, okay, get up here, get kicked in the face and fall down those stairs. All right, you got another one in you? That's a special kind of stupid, you know? Someone says, hey, I want you to come over here and get hit in the face with this chair. Ah, that was not bad, but could you do it this time and snap your head sideways? Can we do one more? And you go, yeah, sure thing. Let's do it again. You know, <laughs> that's a special kind of stupid. And I mean, that's right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> my mom never made me pretty. She made me to be a machine. How did she do that? And what does she think of your career? Well, my mom, God bless her. She's definitely, you know, a hero to me. You know, she was right there and doing the same thing I was, damage control and just, you know, fighting through things. And she's a fighter. She's a good, good person. As far as what does she think of my career? I mean, she loves what I do. She loves the movies I've done, but she's definitely afraid for me. You know, I, I jump out of helicopters onto moving trains. You know, I jump from moving semis onto, you know, horses that are on the side of the road as I'm, it's not a healthy occupation. Let me put it that way. I think I've gone through something like 66 surgeries now in my lifetime. That's a lot of broken bones, a lot of, you know, organs that have been stitched up, fixed, put back in. You know, I'm Frankenstein's Frankenstein. Why? Why, Garrett? Why? You know, I'm going to bring it right back to what I just told you before. I wasn't made pretty. This is my pretty. People look at Kimberly Kardashian and they say, oh, there's a beautiful woman, you know. Me, on the other hand, I look at ballerinas who have broken toes and I say, man, that's a beautiful woman. I like seeing the road marks of trial and error and forged in the fires of will. That, to me, is my sexy. And that's where I live. You know, I wasn't born to be a cover model and sell clothing. I was born to be the wizard behind the curtain, trying to make someone else look good. And when that person's out there getting clapped on the back saying, man, you did a good job falling out of that, that window on fire. I say, yeah, he sure did, even though I know it was me. I'm not the guy that likes to just be the center of attention. I'm the kind of guy that likes to lift those other people up that want to be the center of attention and make sure that the world doesn't see the magic trick. I'm one of those magicians that I don't want you to know the secrets to my my tricks. And um, that's where I live. And I love that world. And why do I like it? Uh, you know what? I guess when I was born, the doctor brought me out. Maybe he punched me instead of spanked me. 
maybe I kind of said, okay, I can do this. And that's maybe the reason why I am who I am. Man, you got a whole bunch of sound bites in that one, huh? Oh my God, a lot. <laughs> that was a whole lot of cowboy wisdom thrown your way. That's right. So you did answer one of my questions, which was, you know, I love the world of great real stunts, right? As opposed to all of the CGI that you see. But I've always wondered, you know, when that actor or the stunt double looks like he is jumping off a train onto a horse or jumping off a helicopter onto a car or whatever, a semi, I always wonder, is this fake? But it sounds like you're actually doing all this stuff. It's incredible. Oh, man. it's Listen, I can tell you that up until about 2000, it was all real. You know, after about 2000, this computer-generated world came in and saved a lot of people, I have to admit. You know, you don't have to get hit by a car any longer. You can actually have a person stand in the middle of the road, pretend to get hit, fall into a pad, then you can have the car drive right through and you can sync them up and you can, you know, do your magic act that way. Whereas back in the day, we were these <laughs> crash test dummies and we we're like, all right, let's do this, you know, and we were forged out of iron, you know, and we're going to hit the ground and get back up and brush the dust off and go, that wasn't so bad. So, yeah, no, we get hit for real. We used to get hit for real. And sometimes nowadays you still do get hit for real. I've got some people out there doing a movie in Mexico. I hired this girl named Alice Ford. Nobody knows who she is, but let me tell you something right now. This girl, she's that old school kind of stunts. She's that righteous kind of, don't you worry, I'm going to hit the ground. She separated her clavicle. She got thrown out of the back of a truck, probably about 13 feet in the air, you know, by this actor, tossed down the side of this hard, hard, you know, rocky ground. And we had buried a pad and she missed it. She got thrown over it, hit the ground with her shoulder. Her shoulder got separated, didn't stop the shot, kept going, got up, continued on with the shot. She crushed it. And that's the old school kind of stunt people in the world that, to me, I look up to. And she did a great job. Yeah, Alice Ford, that's a good person right there when it comes to stunt world. Other people are like, you look at people like Vic Armstrong, you know, and he would do car stunts and horse stunts, you know. He doubled Indiana Jones in the original Indiana Jones movie. And the stuff that he did was crazy, you know. He was the first guy to do a descender and, you know, you sit there saying to yourself, this guy's going to jump off the side of a building with no airbag below him with just a wire. And he's going to say, okay, let's do this. You know, those are gutsy people. You know, I look up to those first people. It's the second people I look sideways at, you know, the guy that said, yeah, that was a good idea. Let me do it too. Yeah, I want you to tell some stories, but I want to ask about something incredibly mundane before that, which is insurance. How do you get someone to insure you if you've had 66 surgeries? Is that what you had 66 so far? Yeah, you're insured through workers' comp. You know, when you're on a movie, you've got workers' comp insurance. And what they'll do is they'll patch you back up and they'll get you back on your feet and then they'll send you on your way and they'll, they'll say, have a good day. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. It's look. We get up, it hurts, and then our body pays for it for the rest of our lives. And we are in pain, a constant amount of pain for the rest of our lives. But I love it. I would never have it any other way, you know? And my insurance, I have Anthem Insurance, you know, through the Screen Actors Guild that takes care of me on a day-to-day -day basis. That insurance is great. And, you know, I, I don't see the doctors very often, but when I do, they patch me back up, put me back in the road, and I, I keep going. How do you deal with the constant pain? Do you just sort of work your way through it? You accept it and you love it. 
you know, I, I know that's kind of masochistic in a sense, but you know, it's just, you live for it because you say to yourself, no one else can do it. So I'm going to do it. Well, tell some stories. You've been in some amazing movies. I'm sure you've done amazing stunts. Tell us a few of your favorite ones and not so favorite ones, maybe where you got beat up a little bit. Let's see. I remember I was doing a Walker, Texas Ranger at the time with Chuck Norris. And I had to do a stunt sequence where I was on the Budweiser wagon, you know, that horse-drawn carriage. And I had to be on the back of this, on the top of this horse-drawn carriage fighting this person on that. And then in the middle of the fight, I had to get hit off of it and knocked to the side of the road. And I remember we had planned it out where there was a slope, a hill. And when I got knocked off, I was going to hit that slope and fall down that slope. And I was like, all right, great. Let's just make sure I get knocked off in this one spot. And then I remember we got to the spot and I didn't get knocked off yet. And I was like, oh, please knock me off before we get to the flat ground. But it was too late. They knocked me off when it was flat ground. And I remember hitting and just getting the wind knocked out of me. And I just remember saying to myself, oh, man, I, I thought for sure I had broken something. Got up and nothing was broken. I remember hitting the ground and for the moment trying to take inventory and saying, oh, man, oh, that one really hurt. And I remember everyone running over going, you okay, you okay? And, you know, your job is to get up and go, oh, I'm fine. That was nothing, nothing whatsoever. And I remember standing up, getting ready to say, oh, that was fine. That was nothing. I remember standing up. And as soon as I stood up, I went, oh, that was, and my knee collapsed because <laughs> I couldn't catch my breath. And I dropped onto my face, onto my side. Everyone freaked out. The medic came in. I went, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Get back, get back. And I finally got my wind. I got up to my feet and I was like, sorry, guys. I just kind of had to catch my breath. And now I'm good. I'm good. And then they all freaked out. And it really is, you know, for us, I don't want a medic to freak out. and I don't want an ambulance ride. I want to just put some crazy glue on my cuts and I want to be done with it and move on. I remember doing a movie where I was doubling Jean-Claude Van Damme. It was called Double Team. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. And I hope you haven't seen that movie because it's that bad. Oh, okay, I was feeling guilty about not seeing it. No, I won't. Nah, you don't need to see it. It's a pretty bad movie. But in it, you know, I'm doubling Van Damme, and I'm in this C-130 cargo plane. You know, the one that has the hatch that folds down the back? And there's a cargo netted package that's being sucked in the back of this airplane. And I couldn't have a parachute on because I was going to get inside the plane. And this was back in 97. And I was going to get inside the plane and I was going to fall on the ground and I had to start this fight. And I had to kick this guy who had a parachute on. He was one of the guys that worked in the plane. And I had to throw him over the top of me and to fly out into the void and pull a parachute. So this is pretty crazy. And, you know, for me, I was like, I don't know if I like this or not. And so then the coordinator and the, uh, the other guys, they started kind of giggling and joking. I thought, oh, well, they're just messing with me. This isn't really going to happen. And so we get up into the air. And sure enough, the coordinator says, all right, get on the package. And I went, nah, you're joking, right? And I said, you guys are just trying to mess with me. And he says, no, you're really doing it. You're going out there. I said, oh, hell no, I'm not. I'm not going out there if your life depended on it. I'm not doing it. And eventually he says, look, we've gotten up in the air. We are all here to see you get out on that package and do this stunt. So you better just cowboy up, all right, shut up and get on that package. And I remember saying, oh, son of a mother. I just, I would like to punch him right in the, ah, ah, I should never have said yes. Fine. So I get on the package. I hold on for dear life. They shove me out into the void and I'm connected with a cable so I don't fall off. But before going out, we were in the south of France 
and we had this Italian safety stunt guy that was going to be my safety. And if for some reason something went wrong, I was going to have to pull the cable, free fall, and then he was going to jump out of the plane and come and grab me. That doesn't sound very safe to me. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sink in to you yes. and all of our people listening right now, okay? The guy comes to me, and first of all, let me just paint a picture for you. We're in the south of France, right, with a predominantly Asian filming crew and an American stunt coordinator and stunt guy. And there was an Italian safety stuntman that was going to come and save me. So we didn't all speak each other's languages. And I remember sitting there and he came to me and says, okay, uh, come on, DJ, uh, you uh, trouble? Trouble? I go, yeah, yeah, trouble, trouble, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, you uh, you box position? You know, it's like when you lay out and you're a skydiver and you try to get flat. I go, you want me to get into a box position? He goes, yeah, yeah. I come together real tight, like bullet. I come down after you fast. I hit you and we spin. You grab my chute, put your arms inside. I pull here and parachute deploys. And I went, oh, hell no. Hell no, I am not doing that. I said, trust me, if you come after me, you won't have to grab me. I will be blowing wind out of my mouth and flapping my hands like a bird. I am going to fly. There's no way you're going to come and grab me. This is ridiculous. And he says, no, 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 you, you understand. If you have trouble, I come get you. And so this was the most stupid, insane stunt I could have ever imagined. And yes, I did it. <laughs> so then I jump on and I go out there and they pull it in and I pull my, my safety cable and I climb the package and I get inside the plane. And I do the fight, throw the guy out. And I was scared to death. I was scared like noodles. Trust me. And when it was all done, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Don't ask me to go back out there. And so that was probably one of the craziest stunts I'd ever done. But I'll tell you what, there was one car hit. I remember I was the stunt coordinator on real steel and I'd done a bunch of car hits in my lifetime and, didn't really want to do anymore in my lifetime. And a buddy of mine, Mike Trissler, a stunt guy named Mike Trissler, he was doing a TV series in Hawaii called Lost. Have you ever seen that TV series Lost? Yes, absolutely. All right, good. So in it, there's a guy who plays a character called Locke, L-O-C-K-E, and he's in a wheelchair. He's going to get hit by a BMW. And he calls me up, and I'm on the set of Real Steel, and I'm directing all these people about how to do these fight scenes and all sorts of stuff, right? And so he calls me up and says, hey, Garrett, I got a car hit. You want to do it? And I was like, nah, I've already done enough car hits. I don't want to do it again. And then he says, oh, it's in a wheelchair. I went, oh, wait a minute. It's in a wheelchair? He goes, yeah. I go, oh, shoot. I've never done that before. All right, I'm in. He goes, well, wait, wait. I don't have a whole lot of money for it. I go, I don't care. It's not about the money. I'm going to do it. You know, sign me up. I've never done that before. I'm dying to see how this is going to happen. He says, all right, come on, let's go. So we get out there. We find the right BMW. So I get hit. I go up and over the top of it. I come down the backside, 25 miles an hour. I hit that ground and I slide easily for about 30 feet on the concrete. Take all the skin off the palm of my hand, fracture my ankle, and I was just ripped to shreds. I get up, everyone says, you okay? I go, yeah, hell yeah, I'm okay. I'm cupping my hand and I'm bleeding like buckets into my palm of my hand. And it's just ridiculous how much pain I'm in right now. But I'm saying, no, nah, don't worry about it, guys, I'm good. And then the stunt coordinator comes over and he goes, hey, man, I can hear it in his voice. I want to kill him. I'm like, don't you dare say they want another one. Don't you dare say. And he goes, you went pretty far. They're wondering if you could do one more. And I was like, oh, you son of a. 
And in my mind, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And of course, out of my mouth comes, yeah, I could do another one, no problem, man. I go, just give me about five minutes. This is okay. So I go back behind the car and I go into my bag and I don't take painkillers often. I really don't. But on this one, I was like, forget it. I'm going to do it. So I take a Vicodin out. I crush it up with my cell phone, make it into dust. I put it inside of my cheeks and my lips and I try to get as dissolved as possible in my mouth as fast as I can. Then I take this crazy glue. I got crazy glue in there and I spray the crazy glue all over the palm of my hand so it stops the bleeding. Then I take duct tape and I duct tape. Now my ankle is just blown up to a balloon and I duct tape my ankle down. So now it's cutting off the circulation basically. And I take a knife and I cut the side of my shoe because my foot's killing me because it's starting to bulge out of the shoe. And so I get back out there and I'm limping until everyone can see me. Once everyone sees me, I stop limping. And I just, inside I'm screaming, but I won't let anybody see the pain. And I just walk the rest of the way. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do one more. I'm like, okay, great, great. Set it up. So I do one more. It's a great, good job. You got it. Nailed it. So oh, thanks, guys. Jumped back on an airplane. And I was in pain. I was in so much pain. I wanted to scream bloody murder. It's the kind of pain where you want to cry, but it hurts so bad that you're not going to cry. I just remember being very proud of that stunt because I had never done a car hit in a wheelchair before. And when I got offered it, I didn't run the other way. I ran to it. You know, I didn't retreat. I went forward and I was very proud of that stunt. I thought that was a really good, that was a really good moment in my lifetime. Other than that, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of other amazing things, you know, whether it be doubling big name actors or small name actors, I've done some crazy stunts that I'm still proud of. But those are, those are things that, still highlight my mind. It's extraordinary that you would spray crazy glue, you said, on your injuries. How do you then get it off? You peel that sucker off. <laughs> Seriously, with all the skin and everything? Yeah, you peel it off. Just skin, it all heals back anyways. Just remember something, you know, bruises go away, bones mend. But that shot, that moment will live in infamy. It's the closest thing to immortality that I will ever know in my lifetime. My kids, kids, kids will be able to see those stunts for eternity. Those moments will echo in the entertainment world and people will be able to see them and they'll go, oh, that was awesome. And they'll scream and cheer and clap. And at that one moment, I'll be able to know that all that pain and suffering was worth it. And there will be no pain and suffering anymore. You know, so that crazy glue, that's the best thing that you could ever imagine, trust me. My kids get cuts. I spray that on their cuts. Done. Moving on. Is the closest thing you've ever had to potentially fatal thing was jumping on that package with the Italian guy trying to rescue you? Or did you have any other close calls? Yeah, no, I had another close call. I did a stunt in a movie called Chill Factor where I was on a motorcycle. I got hit head on by an 18-wheeler, threw me like 60 feet, tore my right leg to shreds. They had to find pieces of me on the side of the road. And, you know, they had to revive me. You know, I was pretty much dead. And then they put me on a helicopter and airlifted me to Colorado where the doctors had to put me back together. And within a week's time, I was back at work. You know, I bumped my knee. I'm done for the day. So <laughs> hats off to you. Trust me, let me tell you, I bumped my toe and that hurts. And I'm like, ah, and I hit the ground and I double over and I hold my toe. But in the course of the event, the adrenaline allows you to handle the pain better. It's if you're at home and you're just walking through your bedroom, of course, that's going to hurt worse, you know? 
Do you feel appreciated by the actors for whom you're taking all these risks and doubling? And do you feel appreciated both yourself and your fellow brethren, stunt coordinators, directors, stunt actors on these sets? You feel like you get your dues and, you know, that you're appreciated. Somebody was saying to me, you know, there's a very class structure, you know, you've got the stunt people and then you've got, you know, these actors. How does that all work out with one group taking all of the risks and the other group getting all of the glory? It depends. There are some directors that, man, they appreciate you. They love you. Man, he's a stunt performer's best friend. He loves the stunt world. He should have been a stunt man, if you ask me. And then there are some directors that you got hurt, get someone else. There's some actors that, yeah, they'll come over afterwards, shake your hand and go, man, you're amazing. I remember Mickey Rourke would go in on talk shows and, you know, he would rant and rave about me being his stunt double. He'd say, oh, that wasn't me. That was Garrett. I used to tell him, you know, look, man, you don't need to say my name. And he would say, no, I want the world to know who you are. So there are some actors out there that will absolutely scream your praise. And, you know, they're loyal and they are truly appreciative. Then there's some actors that just feel like, no, that's what a stunt guy does. Doesn't need appreciation. And I get it. I don't do it for the hugs and the kisses. I do it because then at the end of the day, I, I look at myself in the mirror going, yeah, man. That was a good one. That was a good one, you know? And then there are some nights where it's me and some of my peers, you know, some of my buddies. I got a, a right hand named Steve Brown that I use. Um, and we'll sit down at night and we'll have a couple shots of tequila. And we'll look at each other going, fuck yeah, man. That was a good one, you know? Came close to dying today. Didn't die. Cheated death. Yeah. Cheers. To this day, I still do stunts. You know, on Avatar, I go out there and even on the new sequels. And I filled in a couple of times doing some stunts and it was definitely some fart narcos out there. And I got up and I was like, man, that one hurt. You know, guys come in going, dude, that was awesome. You know, and those are the things that I love. Those are the moments that I appreciate. I give them to people and they give them back to me. And those are the times that I like it. And, you know, does the whole set, does all the production? Ah, I don't know, but we don't look for it. Yeah. So you're in the new avatar that's coming up. Is that right? Well, I'm not allowed to talk about it, you know, but I can tell you right now, it is out there. You know, it shows that I was a part of the process with so many other people. I was a part of the action team and everything. And you did Spider-Man 2. And what were some of the new ones that you've been in? You know, I've done a lot of the Transformers movies. I've done Alice in Wonderland, Divergent, Alita Battle Angel, the first Avatar, Lincoln. Yeah, I've, I've done an awful lot of films. What was Lincoln? Which one is that? Remember with Daniel Day-Lewis, Steven Spielberg directed it? If you haven't uh, seen yeah. it, you should. It's spectacular. In the very beginning of the movie, there's a war sequence. And people are inside of a pit, basically, killing each other with bayonets and so forth. And I helped choreograph and coordinate that scene. Ah, uh, got it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was thinking, Lincoln, okay, let me see what stunts could be in there. But it was a war sequence. Got it right in the very beginning. And it was amazing. And I tell you, there was a lot that we did that didn't make it to the movie theater because he wanted it to be PG-13. But trust me, what he did for Saving Private Ryan, he was doing, you know, for this same war sequence, but he cut it out because he didn't want it to be something that took away from the movie that he had made. One quick question before we move on to the world of COVID-19 and other things. Was there a movie where you shot a whole bunch of stunts at great cost to yourself, broken bones, all of that, and it never ended up on the big screen? 
I'm not sure. I, you know, I never thought of that. That's a good question. I think anytime I've done something where I've, I've done a lot of work and, you know, gotten hurt and it definitely went out there and you definitely saw it. So I don't think anything fell on deaf ears. Yeah, that's good. Because, you know, if I were a stuntman and that happened to me, I'd be really pissed off because, you know, you take all that beating and it doesn't show up on the big screen. Oh, yeah. So, you know, over the past two years, Hollywood has taken a, quite a beating because of COVID-19 and it's really transformed movie making, you know, safety and making sure everybody's healthy. And I wonder if the world of stunts also changed in the way they're executed and planned. What, if any, changes have you seen and implemented yourself since the pandemic? You know, what we have to do now is we test every day. So what happens is you first have to answer a questionnaire on your phone. Do you feel sick? You know, do you have sniffles? Any of those things, you know? And then uh, you go in and they do a rapid test and a PCR test. So they check to see all of those things. Then after that, when you get to the set, we all wear masks and we have to stay in what are called bubbles. And I'm sure you guys have heard of bubbles, but you know, there are certain people that can hang inside of an actor's bubble that have to interact with them and that's all they can do. And other people aren't allowed to really go inside that bubble. They have to stay away from it. So yeah, no, those things definitely changed. And you know, there's a lot of protocol where you're not allowed to like share wardrobe or you can't just hand somebody some kind of prop anymore. They have to disinfect it. So there's a lot of painstaking efforts that go towards A, disinfecting a set, B, making sure that people keep their masks on all day long and don't you know, spread the virus between each other. The world of stunts and you know guns on set also underwent like a 360, right? When last October 21st, uh, 2021, when actor Alec Baldwin fired that prop gun on the set of the Western movie Rust and killed the cinematographer Helena Hutchins outside Santa Fe, New Mexico. What was your reaction when you saw that unfold and sort of what kinds of safety measures have you and others put in place since then? I got bad news for you. We were always safe. I don't know what kind of stupidity was happening on that set, but I've never seen anybody bring a live round onto a movie set. What safety measures have we put forward? The same ones we had in place before. I've never had an incident like that ever on a movie set. So I don't know what people were doing over there. What things have we done going forward? The same things we always have done. I haven't changed any protocol. Basically an armorer is supposed to always be the one that handles the guns. You know, when the armorer brings the gun to you, he shows you that the gun is completely empty. He loads the magazine or closes whatever the thing is that holds the bullets. He'll close the magazine or the rack or whatever it is. And then they'll fire it at the ground. Click, 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 click. And they'll say, see, no live ammo. And you go, great. And they hand it to you and then you're ready to go. I mean, that's what always has happened all my life. So it was such an extraordinary departure from protocol is what you're saying. That's a special kind of stupid is what it is. I mean, who brings a live round onto a movie set? And we still don't know how that happened, right? I'm not sure anybody will ever find out how it happened because things happen and, and people keep things to themselves, whatever it is. But I can tell you right now, no live round should ever be on a movie set. It's not done. It's a part of all the protocol ever since the 90s, since I've been doing stunts. I've never seen anyone bring live rounds onto a movie set. In closing, Garrett, you know, I always ask people, what would you say to your younger self? And for you, that's a really interesting question. You know, I'd have to say, so what would you say to your younger self, that beginner stunt actor 
who started to basically put his life on the line to do these crazy stunts, you know, and to the guy who's had 66 surgeries, you know, to the young man who would go on to have 66 surgeries or to the man who opened the door that night and found himself, you know, in a hail of bullets in a near death situation. And that young stunt man who has evolved with technology and the times and it still refuses to, you know, take the easy way out. What would you say to that young man about the journey that you've been on? <laughs> Looking back, I'd say, boy, you're going to have a lot of fun. I wouldn't change a thing. I would take all the surgeries all over again. I'd take the gunshots all over again. I'll lose the eye all over again. I love my life. I love what I do. I love where I am. I love who I am. I would not do it any differently. I think Captain Kirk says it best. You know, it's all those little problems, insecurities and mistakes that he's made that forged him into the person he is today. You know, I think that was in Star Trek too. He's not changing. It's those things that made him to be the person he is. If you don't go through those things and have those, those problems and those, those mountains to climb, you will not be the strong person, the strong individual that you are today. I mean, look at war buddies. They're the closest of friends because they sat in a foxhole. They've gone through insurmountable obstacles and lived through hell. Come out the other side and you know you just isn't getting worse than that. That's always going to be a great friend to you. To me, that's why I would never change anything I did. I, lo I love everything I went through. I had the best time and I'd do it all again, twice. Garrett, thank you so much for joining me on When It Mattered and for this crazy and fun and absolutely fascinating conversation. I've loved every minute of it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it greatly. Garrett Warren is an amazing stunt performer, stunt double, fight coordinator, and unit director in major motion pictures, including Avatar, the X-Men movies, Logan, Iron Man 2, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Spider-Man 2, to name a few. He has taught martial arts and fight choreography to such celebrities as Jessica Alba, Jada Pinkett Smith, John Travolta, and The Rock, and is a personal trainer to many stars. Warren holds a fifth-degree black belt in Taekwondo and has won three World Martial Arts Championships. Championships. This is When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. When It Mattered is a podcast from Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups with brand strategy, positioning, and narrative. Our producer is Jeremy Kaur, founder and CEO of Executive Podcasting Solutions, with production assistance from Kate Cruz. Our creative advisor is Adi Weinland, and our research and logistics lead is Sarah Muller. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you like the show, please rate it five stars, leave a review, and do recommend it to your friends, family, and colleagues. For questions, comments, and transcripts, please visit our website at goodstory.io or send us an email at podcast at goodstory.io. Join us next week for another episode of When It Mattered. I'll see you then.